This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. It's uh, just a great day to be together. I'm going to be starting a new series this morning, and Sandra and I are actually going to tag team this one for the four weeks. I'm going to do two. She's going to do two. And so I'm going to kick it off today, and it's called The Best Christmas Ever. It's Christmas. It's not, that's your child. That's not my child. Lord, where's Lindsay? She prays and things happen. I'll tell you why I love this title. I love this title because I, I, I honestly want this to be our heart through the entire month of December. And I know some of us have a very, very hard time with Christmas for a lot of different reasons. There's some people in this room right now that are going to experience Christmas for the first time without a lost loved one that passed away this year. And so I know, um, having gone through that before, it's tough. But I honestly believe that God wants to help us to see Christmas different this year. And to see it through His eyes. Um... I honestly believe this is going to be a great series. It's going to be a great month. You're going to have a great Christmas. You're going to have some just amazing moments this Christmas to celebrate the real reason for the season, which is Jesus Christ. Amen? I want to read you a verse this morning, and um, it's a verse that doesn't sound like it has anything to do with Christmas, but I think it has everything to do with what I want to establish today and hopefully kind of process through over the next uh, four weeks And it's Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. And it says this, With God's power working in us, God can do much, much more than anything we can ask or imagine. What are you believing for this Christmas that you need that to happen? The much more. Not just much more, but the much, much more to happen for you this Christmas. So we're going to start this series called The Best Christmas Ever, and I'm actually going to talk about, uh, ironically enough, hope. Um, I think it's a great way to start. I also think it ties in great with our Hands of Hope Christmas outreach, and um, I love this whole concept of hope. There's actually a story I stumbled across a couple of weeks ago, and it's this story of this gentleman that's walking by a park where Little League Baseball is literally taking place, and he's walking up to this one game, and and he sees this kid sitting onto the end, onto the end of the bench, and he says, um, he looked up at the score, and that's one of those fancy little league, you know, stadiums where they actually had the score on the board. And he looked at this little kid and basically just said to him, man, 18 to nothing. You must be discouraged. Little boy turned and went, no, I'm not discouraged. He said, why? He says, we haven't even come up to bat yet. <laughs> and that little guy has what I call hope. Top of the first inning, he's down 18 nothing already, but he has hope. 
And Jesus' arrival on earth was an incredible source of hope. And so, not to go into this big kind of Bible college kind of talk, but I want to start with a very basic understanding of why it was so significant that Jesus came and the significance around it. For those that uh, have read your Bibles, you'll know that in the back end of the Old Testament is a book called Malachi. It is a minor prophet, um, and the last known kind of writings and connection point for the book of Malachi was approximately 400 B.C. And then what it talks about, and what we understand in Scripture, is that for 400 years, there was silence from God to earth. Silence. Complete silence. And that silence was broken in one moment with the cry of a little baby in a manger. That's the first words of God in 400 years was a cry in a manger. And there was literally no prophetic revelation. There was no uh, prophecy. There was no understanding. There was no enlightenment as far as spiritual things were concerned. They were literally living in literal thoughts and stories and prophecies that had been handed down for generation to generation. But for 400 years, there was silence. If I can say it like this, there was spiritual darkness. And I think if we're being honest here this morning, we live in a day and age where we are seeing spiritual darkness again. Very similar to the time that Jesus showed up on earth the first time. Spiritual darkness that takes many, many different forms. And some of us have stumbled in darkness. Some of us are currently in our lives right now literally stumbling and tripping over our own feet in darkness. And that darkness can result in many, many different things. It could be regrets and sin and and disappointments and all of these different things. There's many things that it could be. But many of us are struggling in this place of darkness when God is saying to us, let me be your light in that dark place. I don't know about you, but when you're in a very dark place, I have been there in my own life. When you're in a very dark place, it's not only that you do not want to see light, but you actually don't even believe that you're worthy of light. Do you know what I'm saying? Even though light can be shining all around you, you don't see it. Even though someone can be Jesus to you with the light of the gospel, you don't receive it. Because the only thing that you do is filter everything through darkness. It was that place 2,000 years ago, and I'm going to argue it's the same place 2,000 years later that we are here. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, which is our theme verse for today, says it beautifully. It says, the people who walk in spiritual darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. And it's interesting when you look up the actual word for light, it's not just talking about physical light. It's actually talking about the light of revelation in your life. So I don't know about you, how many have ever gone through the motions when it comes to your Christian walk? Don't put up your hand. I have. And one of the most frustrating things is that nothing's fresh. Nothing's exciting. Nothing is new. Nothing is, you don't feel this tangible sense of the presence of God. All you feel is obligation, duty, honor, right and wrong. That's what I'm supposed to do, right? 
And I know I'm not supposed to do that. But interestingly enough, this word light speaks to two things. Yes, it speaks to natural light. Light piercing darkness. But it speaks to God's voice, God's revelation, speaking directly to your life, to your heart, to your mind. I don't know about you this morning, but I can't live a day, a week, a month without hearing from God. (laughs) I can't. I can't imagine 400 years of not hearing from God. I can't last a day without being reminded, God's for me, God loves me, I'm a child of God. I tell you, I need that every day. And I believe that this is the basis and the foundation for hope. We all need a revelation of hope in Christ this Christmas. Thought one this morning, I just want to share a very simple thought today. Jesus is the light of the world. We've heard this, but it's so powerful, it's so profound. I want to read that verse once more, Isaiah 9-2. It says this, The people who walk in spiritual darkness will see... A great light. Those who live in the dark land, the light will shine on them. How many have ever had a situation where you've fallen into the trap of what I call human hope? Where you say things like this, well, I hope that situation works out. And I hope that this uh, financial burden leaves me one day. And I hope this isn't a, a scare of my health that I'm real worried about. I hope that things change. The problem with that is that it's not biblical hope. It's emotional hope. It's circumstantial hope. It's hoping your circumstances change. How many have ever thought that? But this word, spiritually speaking, is speaking about an anchor for your soul. It's talking about being anchored to something outside of yourself. And that's what gives us hope. Not that the circumstances externally change, but the person we're anchored to makes sure that we will be reminded that everything's going to be okay. What are we anchored to? The light will shine. It is a statement not of, well, maybe, but it is a statement of this will happen. The light will shine. You, I, I honestly believe that one simple thing you guys got to go home and do today is you got to look at the circumstances that you're believing God for. you got to look at them even though you don't want to look at them. And you literally got to speak to those situations and say, no, I know what the enemy's saying about those situations. I know what some people in my life are saying about those situations. But light is coming to this situation. God is going to expose darkness with light. And God is going to bring healing where there was darkness at work. The enemy loves to work in darkness. The, the king of kings loves to bring everything to light. Why? Because he wants to heal. And he wants to restore. That's his heart. Much of the book of Isaiah is, interestingly enough, is actually very prophetic in nature. It speaks uh, mostly about the coming Messiah. Of all of the books in the Old Testament, Isaiah is what they call the most messianic book, prophetic book. It has the most references. It's actually quoted the most in the New Testament as far as the Messiah is concerned, Jesus. And interestingly enough, he uses this metaphor of light and darkness to declare to the people of Israel at the time, hope is on the way. (laughs) He's declaring prophetically that darkness will not prevail any longer. How many believe that? Amen. He was prophetically, of course, speaking of Jesus Christ. I want to read to you a 
verse in the book of John where Jesus is declaring about himself something very profound while he's teaching in the temple. It's John chapter 8, verse 12, and he says this, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. I love that. I love how, I love how God works. There is nothing in the Bible that is by accident. There's nothing that's just thrown in there as an add-on, thinking, hey, that'd be a great little story. We'll just throw that in there. Guess what the first miracle Jesus did immediately after declaring that? He found a man that was not just blind, but was born blind. In other words, he never had light. He never had vision. He never could see anything. And to describe to the Pharisees and to demonstrate to the Pharisees his point that he is the light of the world. The very next miracle is a man born blind. John chapter 9. Powerful. Prophetic of the nation of Israel of the day, but prophetic of our day. There's far too many spiritually blind people walking around our earth today. And God is calling us, as we've talked about the whole kingdom series, to be the light of Jesus everywhere we go, to extend the kingdom and to expand the covenant community of God on the earth. You know what's amazing about this verse? Is that the presence of Jesus can overcome any darkness and defeat any enemy. Darkness and the enemy no longer have to have the final say. This is the problem with earthly hope, is that we're hoping for something to change, but deep down in our hearts, we actually have this little conversation that goes something like this. Well, I'm hoping for this, and I hope it works out, and I hope this changes, and I hope God comes through, and I hope God answers prayer, and I know he answered it for that person, but he probably doesn't care enough about me to answer it for me. And then here's where it goes in our minds. But I know how this always works out. I know how this story goes. I've seen it before. The problem with earthly hope is that it lives in the past. Godly hope is anchored to the one who can change your present in an instant. And alter your future because of what you invite him into in your present. But it's a choice. It's something we've got to choose. Darkness does not have the final say, and because of that, we have reason to hope. You know, every once in a while, I love to, I love to uh, bring out some interesting quotes from some interesting people that have no knowledge of God, but their quotes are just so interesting, I can't, I can't shake it. So there's a, a very famous atheist called Jean-Paul Sartre. And he said this a month before he died. He said, literally out of despair to die. He said this, I know I shall die in hope. He was being earthly. I know I shall die in hope. I know I shall... I know I shall die. How many have ever tried to talk themselves into something by saying the same thing over and over and over again? So for a whole month leading up to his death, he's saying... I know, I know that I shall die in hope. I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. Remember? (laughs) The little engine that could? I think I can. But he always ended this phrase, this sentence, with profound sadness, and he always ended it like this. But hope 
needs a foundation. A profound atheist realized in that moment, just before he died, that his hope was not anchored. And that he recognized he needed a foundation. And I don't know if what kind of decision he made at the end of his final minutes, hours, I have no idea. I hope that he had a revelation of Jesus Christ in that moment. But he said something profound for all of us to understand. Hope needs a foundation. It needs an anchor. And it cannot be circumstantial or you're going to be so emotionally up and down like a yo-yo because you're going to be great one moment because things are going well and just depressed, discouraged the next because things aren't going well. But when you're anchored to the hope we have in Christ, we're immovable. Why? Because he's immovable. He's unshakable. And that's God's heart for us. Second thought is this. Hope is seeing light in the midst of darkness. I don't have this in my notes, but just always, I always laugh at the story where Jesus is asleep on the boat and the disciples are trying to get this boat to the other side and they're in the midst of this massive storm and they're literally thinking like they're going to die and they find Jesus on, you know, on, under deck, sound asleep, in the midst of a storm. I don't know about you, but if you've ever been out in water in not a very large boat, you feel everything. When the winds get going, you feel everything. He's sound asleep. He's just having his manger moment all over again 30 years later, like, rock-a-bye, baby, on the treetop. When the wind blows, you'll snore like that. You know, it's like, it's awesome. But what was he trying to say to his followers? If the only thing you do with your prayers is to pray for the storm to go away, you've missed the whole point. What you need to do is invite Jesus into the middle of whatever it is that you're going through and anchor yourself to Him so that whatever happens, in whatever way it goes, it doesn't matter because you're anchored not to the source of the storm, but to the source of the Savior, Christ Jesus, the one who we have hope in. They say, well, it's so easy to say that. I know. (laughs) That's why it's called faith. (laughs) And you're like, God, is there a different way? Can you do this easier? And he looks down at us and he goes, I could. But you'll never have a testimony without a test. You can't walk someone else through what you've never been through. What principles are you learning? Romans 15, 12 and 13, I love this. It says this. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will rise to rule over the nations, in him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Interestingly enough, the Apostle Paul here in this verse is actually quoting from the book of Isaiah, talking about, once again, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. The root of Jesse is the source of hope. The root of Jesse, as we know from the Old Testament, is Jesus. From the house of David, the source of hope. In a description a couple of chapters later in Isaiah chapter 11, 
there's this beautiful description of the root of Jesse, who's Jesus. And it says this, Then shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Verse 2, I love this. This is what you're anchored to. So when I'm reading verse 2, I want you to think about what you're anchored to. Okay? The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. That's on Jesus. The Spirit of wisdom. How many need wisdom in your situation? Okay. Spirit of understanding. How many need a different perspective about what you're going through? Okay. The Spirit of counsel. How many have all knowledge of all time wrapped up in your brain? Just want to look, just make sure there's no lightning bolts that come through the roof and, or the ground swallows you whole, nothing like that. No Old Testament moments, that's good, okay. So the point is, is that you don't have it all. You don't know it all. You don't have the perfect perspective. You don't have perfect understanding or knowledge. Jesus does. And this is the part I love, because I get excited about this. And might. In other words, he's given you everything that you need strength-wise to overcome. It's all there. The spirit of knowledge, insight, and what? The fear of the Lord. What does the fear of the Lord do? It reminds you of who you're serving. Oh, Lord, I don't know what's going on. Oh, God. Oh, it's okay. I got the king of kings on my side. What in the world could the enemy do to me? I got the king of kings on my side. He can mess me up in a moment, but man, we've won the victory. We've got the battle. <laughs> Changes everything. goes on in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10, and it says, And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, who shall stand as a banner to the people. For the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. It's interesting in the Old Testament, there's, there's different things that the nation of Israel and other ancient uh, uh, peoples would do uh, in different settings. Sometimes it was to celebrate certain events. Sometimes it was in the midst of battle or war. And what would often happen, especially with the nation of Israel, in the midst of going to battle, is they would literally put up banners. And sometimes those banners would describe who God is. Sometimes those banners would describe prophetic kind of moments where God would speak to them about certain things that would need to be on those banners, or on those poles, or on those sticks. And what would happen was, is the people... The worshipers and the people with the banners would go up in front of the army to set the atmosphere for battle. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm carrying a banner and I'm walking out to the enemy and I have no weapons, that's a little unnerving. But God had this brilliant plan. He says, I want the banners to go first because I want the nation that is on the other side to see and to read who your God is and what he can do. So that they start shaking in their boots long before they meet the, the actual army because they've already seen that he is Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah this, Jehovah, and we can go through the whole list of redemptive names. But interestingly enough, Jehovah Nisi is the Lord is our banner. He is our banner. He's our victory. He's got out ahead of us and prepared the way. Isaiah 40, another prophetic picture of the Messiah comes. And it literally says there's going to be a prophetic voice, John the Baptist, that's going to go ahead of Christ to prepare the way. Everything God does is to go ahead of 
and prepare the way. One part, it says he's going to make the hilly path straight and the crooked path smooth. Why? Because he's going ahead of you to prepare the way. So when we have hope anchored to something that's outside of our circumstances and we have hope anchored in Christ, then the only conclusion we can come to is God's got that. How do I know? He's already gone ahead of me. How many know that if someone else has gone ahead of you, to follow in their footsteps is much easier? But if you have to plow the ground yourself, it's much harder to to create your own pathway. There's this picture in the Old Testament. It's in Joshua. I believe it's chapter 3. 3 or 4 in there. It's in Joshua. It's in the Bible. It's somewhere between Genesis and Revelation near the first part. Okay. Just wanted to clarify. And there's this story where God comes to Joshua, who's the commander of the armies of the Lord, and he literally says, we're going to cross over the Jordan River, but what I want you to do is to send the priests out with my presence a thousand cubits ahead of everyone else. And we look at that and we go, well, that's cool. What was it talking about? People carrying the presence of God, the banner of God, going out ahead of everyone else to pave the way. But one thing that I thought about is part of what they had to do was to determine where was the best place to walk. So that they're not going to trip, they're not going to fall, that everyone else is actually going to find that smooth spot to walk across, right? They were scouting it out. It's what I do every every Christmas, every July water baptism as we go into the St. Lawrence River. I go out with my bare feet and make sure I find a pathway to where we can actually stand so that we're not on rocks, we're not sinking into the mud, we're not doing any of that. It's awesome. But they paved a way. Jesus paves a way. Amen? Hope, then, is inviting Jesus into your life to pave the way. Third thought, hope comes when Christ is birthed in you. I love this. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 6 and 7, it says this, For God who said, let brilliant light shine out of darkness, is the one who who has cascaded his light into us. The brilliant dawning light of the glorious knowledge of God as we gaze into the face of Jesus Christ. Wow. When we understand what Christ has done for us already, we can have hope and trust knowing that he's going to do whatever else we need ahead of us, not just what's behind Think about the price that he paid for your life. Think about that revelation itself. It's beautiful. Colossians 1.27 says this, Living within you is the Christ who floods you with the expectation of glory. I love that. Oh, the Christ that lives in you floods you with expectation of glory. This mystery of Christ embedded within us becomes a heavenly treasure chest of hope. Who wants that? Okay, when our kids were younger, only the two youngest ones do this now, but how many remember going to Swiss Chalet and they could not leave without getting the treasure chest? And they're the dumbest, stupidest toys I've ever seen in my life that don't even make it to the car. They have broken. I'm like, can you at least go talk to McDonald's? Because they at least last for three days. So does the food. (laughs) Okay, whoa, you know what I'm saying? I've always wondered, I'm like, wow, that's powerful that it looks exactly the same three days later. That's never good. I'm just saying, that's never good. 
Have mercy on McDonald's. But it says, becomes a heavenly treasure chest of hope filled with the riches of glory for His people. And He doesn't stop there. He goes, and God wants everyone, you, to know it. He wants you to know it. There's a treasure chest of hope just for you. Open it up. Do what our kids do. Take an hour and a half to finally pick a toy. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of patience that you give me every once in a while when we're at Swiss Chalet. But think about this. He's okay if you open it up and actually kind of go through it for a little while. He's okay if you check some things out. He doesn't have a problem with that. Why? Because it's a treasure chest of hope just for you. Amen? Living within us is the Christ who is full of hope and glory. If you believe that, say amen. I want to read another version of Colossians 1.27. It's in the NIV, and it says this, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He wants to be our hope of glory. Amen? One thought I've had as I was thinking about this message is this simple little phrase that just kept coming back to me. And it's simply this. Hope gives birth to hope. Think about that for your life situations. Think about that in the way that you talk about the situations you're going through. How many know that despair gives birth to despair? But hope gives birth to hope. When we are anchored to the one who is hope personified, we can give birth to hope in our situations and our circumstances. Amen? 2 Corinthians 4.7, it says, We are like common clay jars that carry this glorious treasure within so that the extraordinary overflow of power will be seen as God's and not ours. He goes on in Matthew 5, I love this verse, and it says this, You are the light of the world. Many of you don't know this, but when we came to uh, Kingston, we ended up doing a uh, kind of like a vision night about four months before we started the church-ish. I think it was May 2008. We actually did it in this room, interestingly enough, except we were going that way. We used that white area as a screen. And when I got to the theme verse for Impact Church, this is the verse that went up. Remember? You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. From the very first vision Sunday or vision meeting that we had about this church, we had a vision to be a city reaching church. That's never changed. It'll never change because it's in us, it's in this house. But he's simply saying, let your light shine. Everywhere you go. And let the light of the world, Christ, in you shine. That's what people need. There's a very interesting story of something that happened. This is a true story that happened during World War II. It's an incredibly sad story. But I think it has a very powerful uh, connotation for us today. So I'm just going to read it to you this morning. It says this. During World War II, six pilots took off from an aircraft carrier in the North Atlantic. 
to scout some enemy submarines. And while they were gone, the captain of the carrier was forced to issue a blackout alarm. The ship went totally dark. When the pilots tried to return, they could not find the ship, and they radioed, give us some light, we're coming home. And the ship's radio operator replied, order, blackout, I cannot give you light. In turn, each pilot desperately radioed the same message, just give me some light and I'll make it. And each time the operator had to radio back, no light, blackout. Because there was no light on that ship, six young pilots went to their grave that day in the North Atlantic. Why is this important? Because I believe that there are people all over this city that are sick and tired of flying, living, walking, driving, you can, whatever you want to call it, in darkness. And they are looking for light more than you'll ever know. But if we're in darkness, and if we've turned our light out, we are no help to anybody. So why is God putting this word of hope in our hearts as a church? Is it because of a, an event that happens the third Saturday at December every year? No. It's because the only way somebody is in darkness begins to have hope is when they physically see light. Think about it. I don't know if you guys were ever scared of the dark. I was a little unnerved by the dark. I hated the dark. Didn't like it. But one light was enough for me. One light. You are the light of the world. Do not underestimate the connections that you're going to have over the next 31 days in this month of December and for the rest of your life. Don't underestimate it. Don't underestimate the story that you have. Don't underestimate the story that God is trying to live out through your life. Because Jesus desperately wants people in darkness to see a great light. That was his plan. Little Christians lit up everywhere. When we first came to the city, we had some friends of ours at the church we came from. They said, I had this strange dream of you guys and of your church. And I'm like, okay. He says, I saw what looked like light, and this is going to sound really weird, but it's actually prevalent because they just did an ET commercial, I guess, in the, in the U.S. for Thanksgiving, on Thanksgiving, which I grew up with ET, so it's like ET, phone home, you know, Elliot, oh, you know, all those things, right? But there's this scene in ET where El, uh, ET's heart glows, and they actually replicated it in the, in the commercial from last week. I actually saw it because I wanted to reminisce, you know. And they actually even did the bikes flying in front of the moon. I'm like, that's so cool. You know how it is. For those that know what I'm talking about, if you've never heard of E.T., there's two letters in the alphabet. One's in the beginning. Anyhow, whatever. But here's what hit me. When this guy was describing this picture of Impact Church, he says, I saw like E.T. in every single person in your church emanating light from their heart. And it was everywhere to such a degree that there was absolutely no darkness in the entire city of Kingston because these people were lit up everywhere they went. And that was 11 years ago this guy shared this with me. 11 years ago. I do find it rather interesting that on Thursday, for the first time in 37 years, we have an ET reference. And in that commercial, the part that got me was there's one part 
where his heart lights up. And I was like, that's our church. God, I want to fly across the moon with bikes. (laughs) Just like E.T. I want all the flowers to go, boom, just like that. Just like E.T. Lord, that would be awesome. And he basically saying, shine. Don't hold back. Shine. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.